Good afternoon. Rob Port uh, here on WDAY, the Rob Report. We're going to be talking with uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer. He, uh, he's got some votes going on in the House. So uh, he'll be on as soon as he's, uh, he's available. Should be uh, not too long. Uh, also going to talk a little bit about NDSU President Dean Rashani, apparently a finalist for a job over in Ohio. I have some thoughts about that. Uh, Standing Rock Tribal Council had a meeting today about the protest camps. Uh, tribal council members saying that they're frustrated with the protest camps, uh, that they'd like to see them closed down. Chairman Archambault warning that, um, you know, I, I, at least a good portion of the camps are in actually a, a flood zone along the Missouri River. Um, you know, and, and come spring, those areas are going to flood along the river as they do pretty much every year. Uh, and if there's a bunch of garbage and abandoned cars and tents and everything that are there and they're not cleaned up, that's going to pollute the river, which is not the sort of thing you'd think water protectors would, would want. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program, too. Uh, plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, um, Some news out of here, disconcerting news out of Minot today, Natil. Did you hear uh, we had a little incident with the Minot Air Force Base? I did not. What's going on up there? We had a B-52 bomber dump an engine in the oh. uh, Clark, Clark, Clark Sailor uh, Wildlife Refuge. Engine fell off the plane, apparently. I just had Eric shout that at me from the newsroom as well, as you were saying, and apparently I just missed it. That's, that's a little, not just disconcerting, but that's got to be one of the worst places you could possibly dump an engine. Well, and, and, and the thing is, is that this happened yesterday, apparently. Um, today, visiting the air base is the Secretary of the Air Force, along with Senator John Hoven. Oh, no. And the Minot Air Force Base has been in a position, uh, they've not exactly been covering themselves with glory. In 2014, they got a um, a visit from Defense Secretary, uh, from the Defense Secretary, uh, and, and after a report showed that there was crumbling infrastructure, low morale, uh, there was a, a trend of, oh, I'm forgetting the word now, but basically a, a, a trend of, uh, they're just not taking things real seriously out there. Um, you know, it's it's a real problem. I'm looking up what the term was. Uh, worried that a, uh, oh, a trend of complacency. That was the term. Complacency, which I, I figure, I mean, if they're talking about complacency in 2014 and then in 2017 an engine falls off the plane, it might be that we haven't figured out that trend of complacency yet. Or just, just haven't fixed it because of the complacency. Right. And then the thing is, is, you go all the way back to like 2007 when there were six cruise missiles loaded onto a B-52 bomber with W-80-1 variable yield nuclear warheads still attached were loaded onto a plane and thrown, flown all the way to Louisiana. And nobody figured out that the warheads were missing until 36 hours later. That also happened at the Minot Air Force Base. So there's... I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 like these things keep happening at the Minot Air Force Base, and it's got me a little bit worried. I, you know, I mean, I I I live by the Minot. Well, not by it, but I mean, I live in Minot, which is, you know, not that far from the Minot Air Force Base. Obviously, you know, the base is a part of our community up here, uh, and I I like having the base here. I love the people that it brings here. It's good for Minot uh, in, in a lot of different ways. But holy cow, do they got to get things? They got to get things nailed down up there. Yeah, they really do. 
this is, I mean, you can't have engines falling off the plane. And we can't be flying nuclear warheads across the country and not knowing where they are. Uh, you know, we, we got to get this stuff figured out. It's just, and, and, and the really bad thing is that keeping these air bases open is, it's always a political fight, right? I mean, that's that's how it's been forever. There's always, you know, we, we have the, the military wants to close bases to, for realignment or for cost cutting or whatever. And, you know, congressional delegations all over the country go to bat for, you know, the military bases in their states and their districts uh, because, you know, obviously with those come, you know, contracts and, you know, the, obviously the, the service personnel in the community is, is a big economic driver. I mean, it's it's important. And so there's always a lot of political fighting around these things. And, and you know, the thing is, is, is the Minot Air Force Base and the Grand Forks Air Force Base, I mean, that is something, you know, for as long as I've lived in North Dakota, you know, our congressional delegation has been fighting to keep these bases open and fighting to keep the missions at these bases alive as well. And at Minot, I mean, if, if they continue doing this, I mean, it, I, it, I kind of think it's going to be harder to, you know, make the case that the base ought to stay open and that it ought to continue to get its mission. Um, you know, I mean, you, you can't have these things continuing to happen. No, I mean, that's um, it's not just a hazard, but that's an embarrassment to the community and to the state. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not the city of Miami doesn't have any say over well, the no, B-52 but, bombers. But right. But I, I understand a, what you're a, saying. That's an embarrassing thing to have going on even just nearby your community. It is. It is. Because I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, I mean, uh, an engine falling off a B-52 bomber is going to make national news. I mean, I, I think that's where this story is headed. It's going to be national news. And it's going to be another black eye. And it's going to be another check mark against the base when inevitably – you know, the, the congressional delegations out there trying to make the case that, that it ought to stay open and we ought to keep putting missions at the base so that it continue. We continue to do things out of that base. Um, I don't know. And, well, and I never I, I never know what to make of the whole political fight over base closures anyway. I mean, while it's nice that that, you know, the Minot Air Force Base, or the Grand Forks Air Force Base or these other military installations that they bring economic development and people into our communities and stuff like that. That's not their primary mission. Right. I mean, their, their primary mission is the defense mission for the United States of America. And if if I mean, that's priority number one. And if not having a base, if, if, if the military doesn't need a base in mind on anymore, you know, we shouldn't force the issue to keep it open just because it brings, you know, lots of airmen and, and airmen and women into our community to, you know, you know, for, for economic development reasons or whatever. I mean, that, that's just not the right reason to keep those bases open. I mean, you're, you're definitely right there. But here's a, here's a positive spin for you. Okay. If this does make the national news, you'll prove to the Weather Channel that Minot's not disappearing. Yeah, we're still... <laughs> <laughs> can't, you can't be disappearing if you're once again in the national news. We're still here. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll send a memo to the Weather Channel. Minot still exists. We're still here. 701-293-9000, Going to take a break. Hey, you can email me too, talk at WDAY.com. And if you subscribe to the podcast, there's a link at sayanythingblog.com. Click the Rob Report link. You got all the details there about subscribing to the podcast. If you can't listen live, you can listen whenever you want. It's a great way to do it. More to come straight ahead. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Rob Report here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, is a toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. Jim held patiently through the break. Jim, what's up? What's going on, Rob? How are you? Hey, what's up? So this, what is, you said Menjin fell off a of 52? Yeah. Why is this? Yeah, it landed I mean, in a I... river in the, uh, in the, in the Clark Sailor, uh, National Wildlife Refuge, which is uh, northeast of Minot. Okay, well that sucks. I mean that's not good, but you know, but if no. the discussion if the discussion from an engine falling off an airplane revolves around a base closing, that's that's ridiculous. Because I mean, if but that's it, the case, and Chicago needs to close down. I was in Dallas when 191 crashed. Um, yeah, all these airports need to be shut down. Then I mean, if that's the case. I mean, well, here's happens. well, here's. I mean, the thing, the thing though, is it's not just. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying Minot should close down. What I'm saying is, there is always a political fight over keeping these bases open, right? I mean, that's a recurring theme. Our, our congressional delegation is always going out there and fighting it. And so when we have incidents like this, and it's not just the engine falling off the plane, but it's also the problems in 2014 with morale and crumbling infrastructure. And, right. you know, they're, they're, you know, what, what, what the report, you know, was saying was sort of a, a lackadaisical attitude about some of their duties up there. And then you go back to 2007 and we're flying nuclear warheads across the country. If incidents like these keep happening at the same base, it's going to make that political case harder to keep the base open. That's, that's all I'm and saying. I, no, and I, and I would agree with that. BRAC is going to be absolutely on board with, with that. And, you know, I wasn't an Air Force guy, I was a Navy guy for 20 years. And so, you know, my, my mission was a little bit different than the Air Force, but in, in, I was on a, a missile sub, so we were in the same ballpark with Minot. Um, you know, but at right. the same point in time, I, I, I really hope that, I just, I just hope that an engine falling off an airplane doesn't politicize, you know, a brat closure list going, you know, hey, Minot needs to be yeah. done beca- because of the things that you listed, 2007, 2014, the, the recent incident. You know what? They've had obviously some issues, but I don't know if necessarily closing Minot is the is the the best thing for our country no. and for our our defenses. Well, and I and I don't I don't think so either. I I, I do think Minot serves. I, uh, I I think I think the Minot base still serves a strategic mission. I'm not sure you could say that about all of them. I think a lot of time members of well, Congress it, go to bat for Minot some of those bases. Minot absolutely does, and I'll tell you real quick. Right. I'll give you a 20 seconds. I was uh, in Minot for 9/11. Uh, um, I was doing, I was in the military, but I was doing something, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But I remember sure. in the morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting at the Holiday Inn right outside the state fairgrounds and watching every single B-52 out of Minot. Yeah, I remember leaving. that too. Every every four and a half minutes, there was another B-52 flying right over the Holiday yeah. Inn, and I'm like, Yo, hi. I remember. I remember. It was a big part of that surreal day. I, I remember that. I was in Minot as well, um, and that was. Uh, it was. It was scary. Yeah, I, I'm not saying Minot should close. All I'm saying is there is always political pressure to make cuts, and if Minot doesn't doesn't start avoiding some of these incidents, um, you know, every time it gives them a black eye, and every time it makes that political case to keep them open a little bit harder. And that, um, that also so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what needs to happen, but. Well, it, it comes down to leadership, and there needs to be leadership on the base. There needs to be leadership within the region. There needs to be leadership, you know, to ma- ensure that, I mean, Minot plays a, a relatively, and people may not realize this, but Minot plays a very influential role in several things that this country 
does, and Minot is a very influential player in that game. Well, it's yeah, and it's they, not just the B fifty twos. I mean, Minot's got. I mean, we we serve Minot. Is my understanding, we service the. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the nuclear weapon capacity in, in the area, a lot of those those missiles when you're driving around out in the countryside and you see those those bases, those silos, I guess, out in the countryside, um, yeah. a lot of that gets served out of Minot. Um, so, yeah, Minot's a big part of that. And I, and I guess with Donald Trump coming in saying that we're going to increase our, our nuclear capacity, maybe Minot's not going anywhere. But Well, you've, um, got, you've got yourself the nuclear triad, and, and I'm telling you yeah. right now that Minot is a, a very large role in that triad. And I would, I and, I'm, would and I'm, yeah, and I'm just away. saying as I'm just saying as somebody who lives near the base, I don't want any engines falling out of the sky. <laughs> oh, I completely, I completely agree with you. I, I wouldn't want that either. Make no mistake about it. But you know what? I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know, unfortunately, whether you're at a, at the Minot Air Force Base or, I mean, I watched Delta 191 literally crash onto the runway in Dallas in 1985, and and. Accidents happen, and it's, I, I mean, yeah. people don't want anything, any accidents to happen, but, but you, 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 what do you do? I mean, yeah. It, yeah. I I, if, 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 it, if it was, if it was a Minot. one-off, if it was a one-off incident, that'd be one thing, but there's been ongoing problems at Minot. I hope they get them fixed. I would Jim, agree with you. They do need to get, they need to, they, they do need to get some stuff fixed up there. Jim, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, We're hoping uh, Congressman Kramer, I was going to be joining the show, and hopefully he'll uh, he'll get on here at some point. But he's voting over in Congress, and I guess that's okay, Natil, if we get bumped for uh, voting in the House. I suppose voting on national issues is important, I suppose. It's more, probably more <laughs> important than, than doing a radio interview, as, as much as we enjoy our talks with uh, Congressman Kramer. The um, Standing Rock Tribal Council meeting today about the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline camps. You know, Governor Doug Burgum um, I thought really did a good job in extending a, a hand of, uh, of unity to, to the tribes. It seems like so far after a state of the state address, he had a luncheon with tribal leaders. Uh, tribal leaders are meeting with legislative leaders. Uh, I, I, I sense a renewed sense of purpose between state leaders and, and the tribes. Uh, you know, I, I think last year, we had a problem in that we had a Dalrymple administration that wasn't always very good on the communication side of things. Um, I, I don't know. Some commentators have, have suggested that, you know, the Dalrymple administration was sort of stoking anger or, or, or being too provocative with the tribes or whatever. And I don't think that's true for a minute. Um, I do think the Dalrymple administration had a communications problem where they weren't articulating their case very well. And on the flip side, you had the tribes which had a bunch of extremists who had descended onto their community, part of which was their fault because they invited them and they partnered with an you know, extremist group called Earth Justice to file their lawsuit against the Dakota Access Pipeline. But, you know, so on both sides, you know, you had sort of a communications problem from the state. You had a, you know, law enforcement that felt that, like, they were under siege. Uh, they were being attacked by protesters. And then you had a tribe which really wasn't doing a lot to condemn the acts of violence that were coming from their side. So, you know, that was a problem. It seems like we're moving past that, though. A lot of the protesters have left. Uh, Governor Burgum has said he's committed to, to you know, rehabilitating the, the relationship between the tribe and the state uh, and, and expanding it. And those, that's good things. Those are positive things. Uh, our, our, our friends, our neighbors on, on the tribe, on the reservations, they are our neighbors. Uh, and it's important for us to have a relationship with them. Uh, and, and today, I, I think, you know, as, as Governor Burgum pushes and opens, opens the doors to communication and starts talking about 
uh, ways to do things. On the flip side, uh, Chairman Archambault and the Tribal Council told the, you know, basically told the no dapple, the Dakota Access Pipeline protest camps, uh, you know, basically told them, you know, we got to close them down. Uh, the river's going to be flooding. Uh, a big chunk of the camps are in a flood zone. Uh, it's that's going to be a serious problem to the river if if those areas aren't cleaned up. Um, and, and they got to close. I and and I I've got full video of the tribal council meeting at sayanythingblog.com if if you want to watch it. And and my impression from watching it was was very much that the tribal council sees the utility of the protest camps as having come and gone. And, and I don't want to put words in their mouths. Um, I, I think I think the Standing Rock tribe stays, you know, very much committed to their fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline as wrong-headed as I think it is, or at least the, the current route for the pipeline. I don't think that, that everybody there is against the pipeline project in total. I think a lot of them are just against the current route. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, I, I sense a lot of frustration. I, I, I think that they would like a lot of the uh, a lot of the the protesters to go home i i got a sense you know one of the tribal council members you know said you know talked about how frustrated they are uh, and and how you know they want the protesters who are not from around there to go home uh you know so that i i think that's a good step on on the tribes part is let's get some of the extremists out of here so that the tribe and the state of North Dakota and the county, you know, Mandan and Bismarck and, and Burley County and Morton County, uh, all the people who live there can, can get back to, to finding ways, that, that, you know, how to, how to live with each other in peace and respect respect one another and respect one another's rights. I, I, I think getting the political extremists, extremists out of here is a good step in that direction. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Karen has been on the line. Karen, what's up? Well, I'm from southeast of Minot and have lived there two summers. The second one I went to Minot State. Yeah. So I am prejudiced towards Minot Air Force Base just from that. Now, Donald Trump and the Republicans having control of the National Congress right now might help us out for a few years, but if that turns to Democratic four years from now, then this incident that just happened would be added to the list. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with you, Karen. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Let's see, Dan emails about uh, Minot. He goes, Rob, you're missing more than half the reason for keeping Minot open. Uh, One, because of its location in North Dakota, the denser air year-round means quicker takeoffs and fewer days planes can't fly due to heat i.e. too thin of air due to heat. Uh, it's also closer to any likely target in the Northern Hemisphere by virtue of being closer to the North Pole. Uh, my not, I, th- that thing about the heat, is that is that a thing? I'm not a pilot. Is that a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. I don't know. Uh, Minot Air Force Base has nuclear missile silos that would remain open because of the, that alone. Uh, engines have issues every day. A plane that is as old as your father should be replaced and the new airframe based in Minot. You know, I, I agree. I, again, I'm not saying that the Minot Air Force Base should be closed down. That's not the argument that I'm making. I'm just saying there's been a pattern of problems at Minot that are more than just the B-52 bombers. And um, you know, if they if they keep if they keep getting black eyes like this, it's going to make it harder to keep that base open. That's my only point. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. 
Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. I'm at a party. There's people throwing drinks and screaming, telling me that I don't belong. Welcome back, Rob Port here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Got a call from John. What's up, John? Yes. Uh, Rob, I used to live in mine and I grew up in mine. Okay. And I know for a fact that way back when, when they built the base, that if you were... Uh, a disruptive person at another base, your punishment was to be sent up to uh, to mine it where you're not used to the cold and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, well, I know that for a fact from the commander. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I don't know what's happened since, but it sure got a lot of bad print since. Yeah. And I just wonder... Uh, you know, I grew up with mine and, and I still love mine, but, but there's always seems to be trouble up there. And yeah. It, you know, that was, um, the, the report from the 2014 problems, you know, they, they did an investigation right. and a report and, and a big part of that was, was morale. And a big part of yep. the morale problem is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the troops felt a lot of the, the people, the, 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 the members of the service who were being stationed up there were feeling the isolated they, they were yeah they were feeling they felt isolated uh they didn't like the extreme weather and yeah you're probably right that's because a lot of them were from warmer places and also i mean when you're when you're a you're an airman or an airwoman who uh, has come up here to serve um and you know minot's not probably a very sexy place to want to come right i mean it's just <laughs> It's yeah, just not. Now, now listen, I, 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 guess, I, I love, no, I love living. True. It, it, yeah. Especially during the winter, uh, the cars in the ditches, there's guys that made millions of dollars being tow people because people from the south did not know how to drive up north. Yeah. Oh, trust me. And, I, I know, and I know all about kind it. kind of, okay, you haven't uh, been a very good airman, so we're going to send you to Minot. And I know that from the top, but this is back in the 60s. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's still true. I, I know that there definitely is a problem with, you know, maybe people just not. I mean, this isn't a very plum station, right? It's just. Oh no, no, you know, exactly. people don't perceive it, and I, I, it's it, to some degree, I, I think that's unfair. My, I love Minot. I love living in Minot. I think it's a great place to live. Well, Obviously, I grew up. I, there. I choose I to live here. A couple floods. I understand. But it's that not. Too, it's not for it's everybody. A beautiful city, really. It is. And, it is. Uh, but it's. I understand. It's not for everybody, and it's probably not as sexy as some places that that they could get stationed. Now, thanks for the call, John. Appreciate it. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. We have on uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer, who just got done. Uh, but what are we voting on today, Kevin? <laughs> so it's. I'm so, sort of breathless. So we. What we just finished voting on was uh, really a rule, which is the rules are what set the stage for 
debate leading up to the uh, vote on the RAINS Act, the uh, the uh, bill that we passed several times uh, only to get no support after it leaves the House, and this time I think we might make it law, and that's a bill that designed to rein in regulations so that any regulation uh, imposed or attempted at least by a, a regulatory body uh, in the administration that could, would have a uh, cost of $100 million or more to the economy would have to come before a vote of the Congress. So it's it's it'll be fun to put this pressure on a Republican president and see if they like it. <laughs> you know, I, I hope so. Uh, I think that's I a good too. check of the legislative branch on, on executive power. Speaking of rule changes, obviously, uh, ethics rule got a lot of controversy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You voted you voted for the change, mm-hmm. uh, which which your guy Donald Trump didn't like so much. and sort of mm-hmm. ended up uh, derailing with uh, with a tweet. Tell us about that. Yeah. So it, what it was is it, um uh, there's this Office of Congressional Ethics, which is an it's a sort of we call it off-campus um, office, in the, supposedly independent of um, of Congress that has investigatory powers, and uh, in this Office of Congressional Ethics, oftentimes gets confused with the Committee on Congressional Ethics. There are, there are two ethics commissions or committees that oversee congressional ethics. The Office of Congressional Ethics is. Uh, it has no subpoena powers, but it has a lot of you know some investigatory powers. And what they do is they take whistleblower accounts and um, any accusations of you know misconduct by not just members of Congress, but oftentimes, probably most times, uh, members of Congress's staffs. And uh, they take them anonymously. As I said, they uh, investigate them. They then publish them and at least two-thirds of the time, find them to be um, without merit. And in the meantime, they become, you know, scandals. They cost members and their staff tens of thousands of dollars in many cases. And so what we've done, what, what the rule did, what we attempted to do in the rule, I say we, I voted for it. I didn't have anything to do with making the rule. But uh, what the rule attempted to do was to, first of all, change the name of it so it wasn't so confusing with the Committee on Ethics and change it to uh, Office of Congressional Complaints and then to um, add some due process requirements. Uh, the idea that somehow you could be investigated, spend 100000 or more dollars, in many cases it's more than $100,000, to defend yourself uh, only to be uh, found not guilty of anything or even a recommendation of uh, further investigation, um, but to have uh, but have your name besmudged is just sort of crazy to me without any due process or even facing your accuser ever. Um, just seemed crazy, so we tried to add some, some a little oversight and balance to it. But anyway, uh, Donald Trump didn't like it. It, it. The rules package, one of the problems, you know, a lot of people say, well, why didn't you, why don't you do this later? Well, the rules package is something you do on the first day. It's not something you do later. But we'll, we'll just probably have to bring it back up at another time in the in a bill, which might be a better process anyway. That that'll get more bipartisan support. Rules packages are always straight party line because it's those procedural things often are. So uh, you know, there'll be a, another another opportunity for it well let me ask you I mean, the, the way trump because i i agree with you on on the ethics issue and i i would point to you know i maybe it seems a little bit of an odd comparison but what's going on on the college campuses with the title nine mm-hmm. uh, issue and, and adjudicating uh accusations of of you know criminal misconduct sexual misconduct where you know a lot of the same things are true where an accusation could be made it could be made anonymously uh, that that a professor did something inappropriate or somebody assaulted somebody else and there's no you know the due process is really lacking and it can really put people in a bad place and so I think 
if, if you're going to accuse somebody of doing something wrong, you know, I, I think we have a long history of, of saying, uh, you know, the person accused has a right to confront their accuser and, and make a case uh, and defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what was set up was was right. I mean, I think people hear, uh, oh, they voted the water down an ethics committee. Well, that's not really I, I, I don't know that standing up for the rights of the accused is, is necessarily watering down right. the ethics committee. That's to me, that's that's shoring it up and making sure it's a fair process for everybody right. involved anyway. But moving beyond that, I mean, you, you supported Donald Trump. A lot of people who are skeptical of Trump. You know, their their point about him was was that he was erratic and that he was going to do things. And here on on really the first day of of <laughs> the new Congress, yeah. uh, he he sort of throws his I don't want to say throws his own party under the bus, but really I mean sort of, <laughs> sort of. creates a headache <laughs> for his own party. Yeah. Uh, I mean I mean is 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 this a harbinger? I mean, are you worried about this? You know, <laughs> is, is this going to be a problem going forward? Uh, you know, it may or may not be, um, Rob. And. First of all, what's sort of interesting to me is, you know, this was a secret ballot. I didn't have to admit that I supported it, but I prefer talking about things in, with integrity than not. But but the thing that I liked about it early on when, when he first tweeted was the fact that, that we don't just yield to the president or the president-elect because he's of our party. And then, lo and behold, we did. And that bothers me quite frankly more than the issue itself or the clumsiness of bringing it into a rules package or all the things you could, you know, the, the, the processes and po- politics you could argue about what bothered me the most is that um, a whole bunch of members that would otherwise vote for the rules package got scared and called the, the uh, you know the speaker's office and the whip's office and said oh my gosh you know I'm getting phone calls um, we better pull this thing or I can't vote for the rules package or we'll have to amend it on the floor and see that that bothers me not not that Donald Trump did what he did but that there aren't enough courageous members of Congress that say, you know what, let, let them do it. But, you know, we're a separate branch of government. So that part, what, what bothers me more is, is, is our own weakness, if you will. In, in, in rather, but here's the difference, though, too, Rob. I don't know how many you know, reporters I've talked to about this, but you're the fifth um, North Dakota radio show I've talked about on. There aren't enough of us to go out and talk about these things on their, you know, to their constituents. And if we couldn't handle this one, I wonder how we're going to go out and talk about the, the failures of Obamacare and uh, and our solution for it. Well, it's going to make it tough. Uh, say, Kevin, i got to take a break. Can we come back? Uh, hold Absolutely. You over? 701-293-9000. You want to join the program? 888-970-9329 is the toll-free number. You can email me, too, talk at WDAY.com. On with Congressman Kevin Kramer. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, on with Congressman Kevin Kramer. Uh, Kevin, the uh, Grand Forks Herald Editorial Board today uh, taking you to, to task uh, <laughs> over your... Me, yes. <laughs> yeah, taking you to task over your uh, your your complaints about media bias. Uh, before the election, you, you had said you wanted to hold hearings uh, with the broadcast television networks regarding media bias. Uh, you've since walked that back, said, you know, you, we're going to do a questionnaire instead of hearings. Uh, Grand Forks Herald saying, I quote, Kramer should stop tilting at this windmill. Uh, they suggested your efforts were petty and small-minded. Um, and, and I, well, well I, I think petty and small-minded is unfair. <laughs> I, I, I agree with him a little bit in that I don't, 
I don't know that a member of Congress going after them is the right approach. I mean, to me, that that's just you're just handing them a talking point, and they're going to say, "Look, this is big government coming for free speech." Except that the People's House of Representatives, the, the House of Representatives, the People's House is where this kind of discourse takes place, and um, and the, here's the thing that and the. the the Herald misses it. They, they reference it slightly. But here's where the three networks are different, the broadcast networks. First of all, your testimony to what competition can do to anything. I mean, in the face of competition, traditional business does one of two things. They either go out of business or they, or they acquire, right? And so, or, or they find some partnerships, and that's what they've done with you and, and, and your blog and your personality, and, and that's why you're on the radio. That's why, you know, Forum Communications uh, purchased your blog, and I think it was a great, it's a great business model. The three big networks are different in this sense, and they're unique in this sense. They, are, they uh, ride on, they distribute their product on beachfront property that is owned by the taxpayers. It's called the Spectrum. Now, WDAY Radio is also on the Spectrum, and that, that is what the Herald points out. But this beachfront pro- property, this beachfront very high-value Spectrum, public Spectrum that the, that the broadcasters, the, the three big ones especially, ride on, it disguises opinion as news. And that's what's different. Talk radio is not news disguise, or opinion disguised as news, it's opinion as opinion. Same with the blogosphere, same with, and frankly, this, this nexus to the federal government of, of the spectrum is what, is why I think it's important to have this discussion. And it's important for the business side of the networks to at least have some greater awareness of their responsibility with this public property. Uh, to, and, and I'm not asking them to not to not be um, aggressive. Um, I'm just asking, nor, nor to, to ignore certain things or to even be balanced. They use the word balanced. I don't ask them to be balanced. But during, for example, during the presidential campaign, one of the things that rubbed me so much was the fact that, that there was more news coverage, lots more news coverage about James Comey and in calling for uh, or reopening an investigation than what he was investigating. Um, you know, and, and the polls show that, that they, the actual time that they spent on things show that. And so I just want to raise the awareness with them that, hey, listen, you have a higher responsibility for this one, at least this one half hour every evening called the evening news when you're using the people's spectrum. And it's, again, it's not a witch hunt. I'm not asking them to shut down. I, I'm not asking them to be less aggressive with Donald Trump. Now that he's president, free game. They ought to go after him just like they did when he was a candidate. But but when there are two candidates and they have this federal responsibility, uh, they shouldn't go after one and sort of give the other one a pass. In in your mind, what could the networks do to, to fix the problem? I mean, when you when you turn on, yeah, that's you a know, great the, question. The, the, because the really, news, let's face yeah. it, Rob. What we don't necessarily want CEOs of the networks who are responsible for all of their programming and not just the six o'clock news. Um, you know, we. we we don't want them to manage the news departments. We want news people managing the news departments. We want the news departments to be independent. But I think they have to be aware enough that, that there's at least pe- there are people paying attention to this stuff so that, you know, every now and then they might want to go down to the, the news director and say, you know what, you guys, you might be missing a few things on this other candidate while you're spending all your time on, on, on the candidate you don't like. And the problem with that is, and the Herald can argue that, you know, Nancy Pelosi thinks the media is biased as well, but there is, this is an unarguable point. The vast majority of people working in the network news stations are 
are yeah. Democrats, and they're proud Democrats, and they're weeping I, I, on election night well, on the just, air. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just, yeah, like we'll, this is a close call. Well, just to illustrate that point, I, you know, I, I found, I, I wrote about it today, and I, mm-hmm. I'm still not sure that your approach is the right way. I, I get what, I mean, listen, I believe the media is biased. Mm-hmm. I, I think they have a problem with viewpoint diversity. Um, I think that sometimes a lot of their stuff could be helped if they just had a few people in, in, in the newsroom who saw the world differently than they do. I, I think the problem is that they have, it's homogenous. You know, a lot of the sure. journalists, they're coming out of J school, they're going to work for these, these organizations, and for the most part, they have, one point of view and uh, you know th- there was a washington post now this is from 2015 so i don't know if it's gotten worse or gotten better but in 2015 which is not that long ago seven percent of reporters were registered republicans now i'm not saying that they have you know more have to be republican or libertarian or whatever but far more are registered democrats and to me that that's, that's going to create a problem when you have so few people with a certain point of view that's going to create a problem um, and so I, I, I guess I, I agree with, I, I agree with the point. I think it is a problem. And I, I think the Herald's wrong to be dismissive of the reality because, because it is very clearly slanted one way outside of islands like, say, Fox News or, mm-hmm. you know, you could cite some other examples, sure. but it, it definitely is leaning. But they're way. not riding on beachfront publicly owned federal property yeah. and that that's my that's that's why it's a that's why i believe it is a congressional issue and why the committee i sit on has relevance to it and why the fcc by the way i mean there's lots of other things they can't do um networks can't do we have other you know regulations if you're flying over the air free by the way remember this is so that it can be received free what i think is the concentration of of network news to new new york city and los angeles is is a bigger part of the problem so regional networks and locally owned stations and i my, my problem is not with them because their news departments live in those communities um you know they're, they're responsive to to the the cultures locally but we're having to watch the night lately news if you can only get your news over the air free and i know that's less and less all the time but that raises another question should they be allowed to have this spectrum um at all right so so I think there are lots of issues that surround this, and this is the fear. I think that if I was to if, if I was to admit my strategy, it would be I would hope that these CEOs would look at a member of the Communications and Technology Subcommittee of the Energy and Commerce Committee who's raising this concern and go, you know, we maybe better watch ourselves because if the public gets too upset about this and they aren't and we don't watch our p's and q's and try to be a, at least fake fairness. Um, you know, we may not. We're not entitled to this to this public property that we ride on. See, the the, the, the Herald doesn't ride on public property. Um, they don't distribute the Fargo Forum uh, via uh, federal property. So that's where that's the nexus that's just slightly different, Rob. And I again, I don't. They're gonna. They're falling under their own weight in many respects, and Donald Trump's evidence of that. Well, I, I do think that the market forces are gonna are gonna bring about change, yeah. and I, I think that's good. Um, so what's coming up? I I wish I wish that um you should have I I don't did you bring Abel along when you got sworn in? This he, I did. He was there with me. Yeah, he didn't do the dab, but he's very. He should have dabbed. <laughs> I was gonna say that would have been great. Maybe he could have got away with it. He was. Now he might have, but I'm glad he. I'm glad he didn't try it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he I, been grounded I, I, too. I don't mind getting on national news every now and then, but that's not the way I prefer to do it. Maybe but anyway, not for that. Abel was there and he had a good time. He's very familiar and he's very he's very familiar to the people in this place because he's he's quite a quite a, a little celebrity in in washington 
what do we got coming up? I mean, obviously, I mean, is, is there is there a lot going to happen? Yeah. I mean, between now and uh, in, in the inauguration, and well, these, we, these we first you know we're going to vote on and pass the Range Act tomorrow. So that's what it, when I told you, you know, we just finished sure. the rule on that. We're we're going to vote on that and pass it tomorrow, and that that's pretty cool. You know, yesterday we passed the VA accountability bill on a voice vote, which is very interesting. You wonder if there's a consequence to elections. Well, this kind of momentum early on, on reining in, in the case of the VA Accountability Act, this deals with the, with uh, employees of the VA and their reprimands and, and uh, admonishments and things like that. They're in their personnel records that get withdrawn very quickly. Um, you know, this is part of the problem with the VA is that the, the Public Employees Union is so ingrained in there that, that the uh, President of the United States can't fire anybody. So uh, that passed on a voice vote in the House. So you can see that people are at least seeing that there's a there's change coming and uh, they're not going to fight it. And, and so Reigns Act tomorrow, you know, VA accountability yesterday is, you know, fairly significant first week. Well, we'll be watching. Kevin, thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure. That's it for today. Remember, you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Don't go away.